Good to be with you all again this evening. Thanks for being here. We're going to look at this passage from Genesis chapter 23 together. The first start in Hebrews chapter 11. And if you're able to find one of these uh, gray ESVs, you'll find this passage on page 866, Hebrews chapter 11. This past summer, my wife and I had the privilege of hosting a couple of res members, old res members who used to be with us, who came back for a visit. They were first a part of the church, uh, unmarried, the two of them. Uh, He was a congressional staffer living at the J House, and uh, I think she was a school teacher, and they met, they dated, they got married, they had a couple of kids. Eight years after, their, after coming to Rez, uh, he got an opportunity to move up north, a financial sector job. And so we said farewell to them, and they moved away. And they were back eight years later to visit with us. We were able to host them and get caught up with them. This, now they're coming to see us with five kids. And... Um, We were hearing about their life up in New York, living the dream in suburbia, enjoying uh, a good job and um, very, very comfortable. God was blessing them in many ways. They had um, a great church that they were part of and they were eager to tell us about what God was doing in their lives because they were minding their own business and they then became friends with foreigners. (laughs) people who were displaced from the Middle East, people who um, were in great need spiritually and materially. And they had come to love these people. Their hearts were breaking for these people. And they started sensing God's call on their lives to care for these people. And so what they wanted to share with us, they had decided to sell their possessions to pack up their family and move to the Middle East to learn Arabic, all seven of them, and then to be willing to go wherever God would take them. Pretty exciting. Pretty crazy. It's hard to imagine, right in the middle of his career, uh, making good money, living the dream, to just pack it all up and set out on a journey of faith, following the Lord. But they're in good company, aren't they? Because Abraham and Sarah did this long ago. And all these other people who have had the same sense of calling and been willing to step out in faith and follow the Lord. Multitudes after Abraham and Sarah. And I want to say to you tonight that God is calling you to. He may not be calling you to uh, sell your possessions, to leave your job, to move somewhere far away. But he is calling you on a journey of faith. One very much like Abraham and Sarah. One that is like these old friends from Rez. And I can assure you that at some point what he's calling you to do will look very foolish to friends and neighbors and co-workers. At some point, you will appear crazy because that's 
part of what God often is doing in our lives. He's challenging us to follow him rather than the ways of the world. So you'll want to learn as much as you can from Abraham and Sarah. They were really the pioneers in this regard. And we'll be learning from them once again as we consider their epic journey of faith and what it has to say to us. Before we look at the scriptures together, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you speak to us through your word. Thank you for the story of Abraham and Sarah. We praise you for them, for what they started, and that we can be a part of it. And we pray now for your Holy Spirit to be at work in us, that we would hear and obey. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. So as we look at Hebrews 11 and then at Genesis 23, I want to just draw your attention to three things tonight. First of all is the vision of faith, then the acts of faith, and then ultimately the reward of faith. So looking at Hebrews 11, first of all, verses 8 and 16, let's think about the vision of faith. And by the time we get to Genesis 23, our reading today in Genesis, Abraham and Sarah have been on this journey faith for more than 60 years together. They had learned a lot by this point. It all began when Abraham somehow heard God saying, follow me, follow me on this adventure, follow me to this land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless all the families of the world through you. And so that's what they did. They set out on a journey of faith, and they set out uh, following the Lord. Now, many centuries later, there is the author to the Hebrews in the New Testament, writing this overview of faith and writing a kind of hall of fame of faith. And Abraham and Sarah feature very prominently in it. We're just going to look at that section of Hebrews 11. And and what I want to highlight from this is Abraham and Sarah's vision, their vision of faith. It's something these verses capture very nicely. And at the outset of the journey... God promised that if Abraham would follow, Abraham would see this inheritance, this land that would be awaiting him, the promised land. Chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when God called him to go out to a place that he was receiving as an inheritance. And so he went out not knowing where he was going. And vision already figures very prominently in this, doesn't it? He, he wants to go see it, whatever it is. He, he is longing to see it. He's imagining it. And so off he goes, not knowing where he was going. He set out by faith. Look at verse 9. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise. He went to live there like a refugee, living in tents. And why? Because he was looking for a city with foundations, whose designer and builder is God. It's really important the way that it's framed there because uh, it shows that it's more than just the inheritance of the land that God promised to Abraham. That is his Abraham's vision. It was a larger vision that Abraham was tapping into, not unlike our old res friends who didn't really know what God has for them after they learn Arabic. All they know is that it's going to be good. They, they know um, they're stepping out on this journey of faith with God and they're going to see God in action. And that's good enough. When God first called Abraham, he heard mention of these other blessings like, you know, you'll be a blessing. Your family will be a blessing to all other families of the earth. 
And there's not much detail to it, is there? And maybe the details weren't all that important. Because Abraham knew what our old friends know, and that is that God is at work. God is redeeming the world. God is making all things new. Whatever God's plan turns out to be, it will be fabulous. Sort of like my friend Randy Kenna back there, when he throws a party, it will be fabulous. Whatever my plans are, when I find out that Randy's throwing a party, I will go to that party because it's better than whatever it is that I was planning. It's just, that's the way it is. It's the same thing. Abraham senses an opportunity to be a part of something better. Hebrews 11 verse 10 says, Abraham is looking for a city with foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The next time there's a hurricane or an earthquake or there's a recession or there's some kind of war or something like this, that city, the city with foundations, won't crumble and fall. What's especially exciting is that God would include and use Abraham, and he would include and use us in his plan to make all things new. I was reading yesterday about how uh, Google co-founder Larry Page is teaming up with the Boeing Corporation to make the next big thing, which is going to be flying cars, like in the Jetsons. And someday, everybody's going to have a flying car. Um, and so, think about how exciting it would be to be on the ground level with this venture. To be a part of the design team and to be included in the invention and, and uh, development of flying cars. That even electric flying cars someday will crumble and fall apart. Not the city with foundations. The kind of excitement that we feel about being included in something that is cutting edge or brand new or something that's big, something that's important, something that will change the world, we ought to multiply that 10,000-fold when we think about the opportunity of being a part of the kingdom of God. To be a part of what God is doing, this greater vision of how God is redeeming the world, the opportunity to be a part of that should be reason enough just to set out on the journey and follow the Lord. Faith enables what St. Paul calls in Ephesians, the eyes of our hearts to see what God is doing, to see what will be according to God's promises. And when we allow the eyes of our hearts to lead us, we get two benefits. First of all, we're able to let go of the city that doesn't have foundations, that disposable American dream kind of city and all of its trappings. Verse 15 of of Hebrews 11 says that if Abraham and Sarah had been wanting to go back home, they could have gone back home. They didn't have to stay living in tents in the promised land. They could have gone back if they wanted to. But seeing with the eyes of their hearts, they had a vision for something much better. Verse 16, for that greater city that God is preparing. And that's what they were after. That's what they wanted. So the first benefit of seeing with the eyes of our hearts is that we're able to let go of things that won't last. And then the second benefit is that we're able to persevere and even enjoy the journey of faith. We can live in tents, verse 9. We can forego 
short-term creature comforts. We can suffer hardships and setbacks living as strangers and exiles, as it says in verse 13. And talk to anybody who's been on a longer journey of faith, and they will tell you there are plenty of setbacks, there are plenty of hardships. It's not all easy. It wasn't all easy for Abraham and Sarah. It won't be for you. And yet, you'll be able to persevere and even enjoy the journey. And why? Because of this vision of faith. The eyes of our hearts enable us to see what God will do and to opt in on the journey to be a part of it. Look at verse 13 now, this verse that speaks of being strangers and exiles. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Abraham and Sarah took this huge leap of faith, following God into the promised land, and ended up, it ended up being the wise course, or, or it, it certainly, there were many signs of God's favor along the way. Most notably, Isaac, the child of promise, who was born to them, miraculously conceived in their old age. But now, if you'll turn back to Genesis 23, as we turn back there, we find that Sarah died, and Abraham soon will die. Sarah died having received the promise of Isaac, but not having received all of the promises that God had given She's still far from the city that has foundations. She's so far from that city that Abraham doesn't even have a burial plot for her now that she's died. And so it's one of those terrifying moments in the journey of faith. One of those moments of uncertainty when as believers and followers would cry out, What now, Lord? What now? And this leads to a second theme tonight, which is the acts of faith. Genesis 23, verse 1. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of her life. And she died at Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Some 100 years earlier, these two young adults, Sarah and Abraham, had left southern Iraq, Ur, And they had journeyed north to the foothills of Turkey, to Haran. We're never told how they felt when they left. Maybe they were in a hurry to go. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe they were sad to leave home and family and friends behind. We aren't told. But they went to Haran in the Turkish foothills. They built a new life together. But as they did... Everybody else around them was having children. They were not. Year after year, no kids. It must have been a very long, sad season. We're not told very much about how they felt or what other details were happening as they lived there. But then came God's voice, this call, follow me, I'll take you to a new land, a land of promise. And they said yes. And off they go. Abraham, 75 years old. Sarah, 65 years old. Everyone around them must have thought they were crazy. They must have thought they were crazy. They must have been afraid. They must have been perhaps excited. They must have been very sad to say goodbye to those around them. We're not told how they felt. They journeyed southwest. They journeyed through Syria, through Damascus, down 
into Jordan, across the Jordan River, into the Promised Land. As they go, they build altars here and there. They begin worshiping the Lord in the Promised Land, and they start drawing near to the Lord, experiencing Him in relationship. He speaks to them more and more, and as they go, they grow in faith. They also grow in wealth. They have lots of cattle. They have lots of silver. They have a huge entourage with them. God is blessing them in many ways, but still no child of promise. So they begin to laugh bitterly that they have no child. One of the first things we hear about how they feel, bitter laughter about what God said he would do, but hadn't done. But then one day, long after it was biologically impossible for this child to be born, Isaac is born. And we're told how they felt. They laughed and they laughed and they laughed. They named their son Laughter. But after all of the years and all of the adventures, They were still nomads living in a tent. Sarah was all Abraham had to remind him of where they started out a hundred years before. So much had happened since then. So many promises fulfilled, but still no land. And now even Sarah was gone. And Abraham hadn't even a cemetery plot to bury her in. And so he went inside the tent that they had shared for all of those years And we are told in the story that Abraham wept. The first man to weep in the Bible. Let's just pause with Abraham in his moment of grief together and ponder what was going on inside him as now he reflects on this long journey of faith that he's had Sarah as his partner. Could he have even imagined when they got married her enduring faithfulness and partnership all of these years over thousands of miles through every sort of adversity? Now he remembers all the ways that he mistreated her and he feels the depth of, of sorrow now that she's gone. And he remembers how she stuck with him and stuck with the Lord as a fellow pilgrim on the journey. How can he continue on this journey without Sarah? They've done the whole thing together. And what's left to do except to go back into that tent that they shared for a century and a week? We've seen so much loss over the past couple of years. Everybody has lost someone dear to them. Even if you haven't recently experienced the death of a loved one, you've, I'm sure, said farewell to people who are close to you. It's especially sad to say goodbye to someone who has been a part of the journey of faith. Someone who helps make the apparent absurdity of being a Christian in the modern world a little less absurd, a little more plausible. When you lose someone like that, it hurts so much more. Leaving empty places that cannot be filled. Sarah was such a person, and I can imagine and expect that it was her companionship in faith 
that was chief among Abraham's thoughts as he grieved for her in the tent. Lot was not helpful in faith. Isaac might be helpful someday, that remained to be seen, but there's nobody like Sarah. No one besides her had been through everything that Abraham had been through, had seen all that he had seen, and still believed with him in the Lord. So in case you didn't know already, Abraham shows us here in Genesis 23 that it is okay to grieve the death of a loved one, especially someone who died in faith. But look what happens next. Chapter 23, verse 3. Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I'm a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead. What changed? What changed that Abraham would get up and take this next step? I think it must have been his desire to remain true to the vision of faith that he and Sarah had shared for all of those years. She was his partner in faith. He mustn't give up on that faith. She died believing in God's promises, looking for this enduring city that has foundation. So instead of being overcome by grief forever, it was time for Abraham to take another step of faith, to engage in another act of faith. That's what we do when faced with adversity, asking, what now, O Lord? What else is there to do? Well, what else is there to do except to take another step of faith? The vision of faith keeps compelling us onward to take further steps of faith. So Abraham went to the elders at the gate and he started to negotiate with them in order to purchase a place to bury his wife. It says, verse 4, I'm a sojourner and a foreigner among you. And it's important for Abraham to, to establish this legally for a couple of reasons. First of all, as a foreigner, he is not allowed to bury his dead there without the... the uh, total permission of all of the elders at the gate. He's also not allowed to own land there. And so the negotiations are very important. It's also really important, I think, that Abraham identify himself as a sojourner and foreigner because it connects him with all of us who follow as people who are following by faith as aliens and strangers. And it's, it's amazing, isn't it? He had been there for 60 years He was still not at home. It's the same today for all who follow Jesus. We are all aliens and strangers. We all live in tents. We all await the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. None of us should feel perfectly at home here. In fact, I feel most at home with others who also don't feel at home. But Abraham wasn't a despised outsider. Look at how the locals responded. Verse 6, hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in our choicest of tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. And as the story unfolds, Abraham overcomes both of the legal obstacles. Verse 6, first of all, they declared that he could bury his dead among them. Everybody agreed to that. And then in verse 16, as we heard, Abraham purchased a field containing a burial cave. Ephron, the guy who owns the field, who sells it to Abraham, he asks an enormous price for it. Verse 15, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that to us, Abraham? It's a huge price. Just by comparison, uh, Joseph is sold into slavery a century later for 20 shekels of silver. 
It's an enormous price. The locals probably thought Abraham a, a complete fool for paying so much money just for a place to bury his dead wife. Certainly, Abraham could have haggled with Ephron. If, if he could haggle with God, as he did back in the Sodom and Gomorrah story, certainly Abraham could haggle with Ephron over the price of this cave. But money was no object for Abraham. He was aiming to get something else here. His aim was to make absolutely certain that the land was indisputably belonging to him and to his descendants in perpetuity. And by paying Ephron's exorbitant asking price, he satisfied every possible future challenge. So with that, Abraham engaged in another act of faith. He took another step of faith. He was willing to be regarded as a chump and a fool for paying this exorbitant price. What did it matter, though, what those other fellows thought? Now he owned a very small down payment on the promised land. He and Sarah owned it. And in fact, Sarah moved in first. She was the first one to occupy a place of land that they owned together, a part of God's enormous promise to them. Forty years later, Abraham would join her. And here's the point that I want to make. Acts of faith are where the rubber meets the road for us as Christians. When you don't know what else to do, take another step of faith. Follow the Lord. Go ahead. Let the other people laugh at you. Who cares what they think? Let them call you crazy. In fact, if they're not calling you crazy, you should be concerned. But let them call you crazy. What do they know? It isn't really any of their business. It's between you and the Lord. And as you follow him, you will find greater and greater comfort in him. And this leads to a third bit in closing, a third theme here. And this is the reward of faith. What reward was there for Abraham and Sarah in their faith? As the rest of Genesis goes on to tell, Abraham and Sarah's son Isaac marries Rebekah. They have a son named Jacob. Jacob becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Another famine takes them south into Egypt where they live, and eventually they become enslaved. But in due time, they plunder the Egyptians, they leave as a small nation, and they return to the promised land where they live and occupy the territory. They raise up judges and eventually a monarchy. They have an entire system of worship. And one day, King Solomon reigns over all of the territory that Abraham could see to the north, the south, the east, and the west, just as God had showed him when Abraham and Lot parted ways back in Genesis 13. Was that the reward of Abraham's faith, the glorious Solomonic empire? Not really. Solomon's kingdom was a city that really didn't have foundations. It was more about the glory of Solomon than it was about the glory of God. Solomon walked by sight rather than by faith. It was big, but it wasn't good. And so the Lord allowed it to crumble. Bit by bit, piece by piece, his empire was devoured by other empires, other marauders, other nations. Eventually, even Abraham's and Sarah's cave was taken by marauders, leaving nothing left except for the children of Israel exiled here and there. 
Every bit of the land that God promised to Abraham was lost. Did that mean there was no reward for Abraham's faith? No. God's promises are always trustworthy. 100%. Just have to wait. Sometimes something buried in the ground takes a while to come to fruition. Just have to wait. Centuries later, in the fullness of time, a very pregnant Israelite, a Jewish teenager, displaced, having to be a part of a forced migration far from home, finds herself going into labor of all places in a cave in Bethlehem. There in the cave, she gives birth to a son, names him Jesus, and from the moment all the way through the rest of his life, he is on the move, never has a place to lay his head. His whole life is a journey, always an alien and stranger, starts off going down to Egypt, comes back, lives in Galilee as an adult. He never has a place to call his own, yet the kingdom of God is with him, flowing through him to everyone he touches, It's like flying cars. Wherever Jesus goes, good things are happening. It's amazing. Life comes to all who touch him, even resurrection life. And eventually, it got him killed because he was a threat to the status quo. Religious leaders, political leaders, money changers, all living the dream in Roman occupation Jesus called them to step out in faith. Called them to seek a city with foundations. Instead, the authorities tortured and killed him. And they took his body and they put it in a cave. And they rolled a big stone in front of it to be done with him. Was there still no reward for Abraham's faith? Sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes there's a need for Sabbath rest. Sometimes we have to pause and look to see what God is doing. His promises are always trustworthy. Easter is coming. It takes time for this seed to spring up from the ground. And when Easter morning arrives, Jesus' followers go to the cave. And the angels say, what are you doing here? He's not here. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why look for the king here? Of course he's not here. He's risen just as he said. He will reign forever and ever. And his kingdom, the city with foundations, will have no end. Throughout their journey of faith, Abraham and Sarah tasted it like the cave that Abraham purchased. Every foretaste was a down payment on the full reward. And most importantly... They were with the Lord. What they discovered on the journey is that the best reward is just being with him. All of the other things come along, but the best reward is just being with him. So I ask you, how will you live? So we're coming to the end of Abraham's journey of faith. You can choose to play it safe, to to walk by sight and not by faith. Perhaps nobody will ever call you crazy. You'll probably find comfort living the dream and enjoying the rewards of conformity. But as Jesus would say, why? What does it profit someone to gain the whole world but lose their life? Don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, 
where thieves break in and steal? Walk by faith, not by sight. Follow the Lord and enjoy the foretaste of his promises now. Enjoy relationship with him now. And someday we will be together with Abraham and Sarah and all of these others in a city with foundations. And we will be with the Lord. For now there's no greater reward than to be on the journey with him. What will you decide to do? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this story of Abraham and Sarah. We thank you for them as pioneers in the journey. We thank you that you invite us now into the same journey to follow your son, Jesus. We pray that you will give us the courage and vision and joy to do so, to walk with the eyes of our hearts open to you. And this we ask in Jesus' name.